Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel podcast, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and also help them to succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we will be talking to Reed Brockman, Associate Vice President and Bridge and Tunnel Inspection Leader of AECOM. We will be talking to Reed about one of my favorite topics and one of my favorite times of the year, E-Week or National Engineers Week to those of you who are less familiar with this amazing national event. I'm your co-host, Alexis Clark. I'm a professional licensed engineer in Texas where I lead the engagement strategy for the structural engineering community of Hilti, North America. I have an undergraduate degree in civil engineering from the University of Texas at Austin. I'm your co-host, Matt Picardle. I'm a licensed engineer practicing on structural projects in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and a master's degree in structural engineering from UC San Diego. Before we get started, this is a free show and our sponsors help us keep it free, so please support them. Now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. A big thank you to EMI sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a privately owned multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees and 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting's engineers, planners, surveyors, landscape architects, and environmental scientists provide professional services to a diverse client base across the public and private sectors. Headquartered in New Jersey with projects coast to coast, Mazer's offices are strategically positioned to provide comprehensive services to meet their clients' needs. Mazer Consulting is committed to the success of their clients and employees. Now, I'd like to introduce our guest for this episode, Reed Brockman. Mr. Brockman has 31 years of bridge and tunnel inspection experience and is an authority on state-of-the-art structural inspection methods. He has been the technical lead on several inspection contracts and has managed a wide variety of projects ranging from the inspections of large tunnel systems to long span bridges. His wide variety of inspections include most of the tunnels in Massachusetts for both highway and rail, the Fort McHenry Tunnel in Baltimore, the GA400 Tunnel in Atlanta, and the Holland Tunnel in New York City. Mr. Brockman also has years of tunnel design experience, designing portions of Boston's Central Artery Tunnel, a water tunnel for the Narragansett Bay Commission, and was a lead structural designer for the Department of Energy's Spallation Neutron Source in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. If you haven't heard about this, it was ranked number three in Popular Science Magazine's list of most ambitious experiments in the universe today. That is quite the guest to have join us today. What an amazing resume. Now we'd like to welcome Reed Brockman, Associate Vice President and Bridge and Tunnel Inspection Leader of AECOM. Reed, welcome to the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Reed, we're going to be talking with you about some of the great work that you've been doing for our profession in terms of your involvement with volunteer initiatives. Before we go there, could you tell our listeners a little bit more about your career as a structural engineer and what area of structural engineering you focus on? So my specialty in structural engineering is I've done a bunch of design, but really everything's always involved bridge and tunnels and every once in a while some dams and parking garages, but mainly bridge and tunnels. For a while in the middle, I was designing. At the beginning, I started out in inspections, and then for a chunk of time, I was designing bridges and tunnels, and then I came back to running 
bridge and tunnel inspection program. In all of the different projects that you've worked on, which one has been your favorite? In a design world, I worked on something called the Spallation Neutron Source for the Department of Energy. It's funny, it was a giant complex facility that all it really did was separate out neutrons from the rest of uh, an atom. So giant facility for something super microscopic. It was just a very interesting project. I was in Boston. The uh, physicists that were who the experiment was for were a combination of in Chicago and Zurn, Switzerland. Architect was in San Francisco, the project in Oak Ridge. It was just really just crazy. It was very fun because it was so all over the place. For inspecting, I think my favorite thing was going down to Chesapeake Bay. The Bay Bridge is just very huge. A big bridge, you really feel like you're out in the middle of the ocean inspecting it. The bridges up in Boston just aren't as big as that. So that was probably my most fun inspection. Tiring, but fun. Sometimes those projects that we find the most fascinating drain us a little bit of our energy. But obviously, when you're really passionate about what you're doing, you still want to get up and go to work every day. Just so that our listeners can understand a little bit more about what it is you're doing to a technical level, can you explain to me just what a tunnel inspection would entail? Tunnels, unlike bridges, where a bridge has a finite beginning and an end and doesn't have that many systems to it, a tunnel involves a lot with the electrical engineers, mechanical engineers, and um, you know, there's the lighting, there's the air quality, there's the drainage systems. There's a lot more to a tunnel. There's the general fire life safety and the making sure that if there's an emergency that people can get through the exits, that they'll know what to do. There's a lot to a tunnel inspection. And I'm glad that, you know, it was probably about four years ago that um, Congress passed the, the to set tunnel inspection standards and they came out with a whole manual of how to inspect the tunnels properly and came up with a system of, you know, periodically every two years having an updated tunnel inspection. Especially with, you know, structural engineering, there's so many different aspects of it. And, you know, a lot of people don't really know, but as kind of transitioning into Engineers Week, as you know, it is currently Engineers Week in the United States. Uh, why is Engineers Week important to our profession in, in your view? The week itself, it's just a randomly picked week. But the very important thing is that it goes in multiple directions. But it's very important that first that students in school understand that there's careers that can come out of a subject matter that they're learning in school. That there's some kind of, you can do something that's really exciting that people are enthusiastic about. At the same time that we're looking to keep students interested in taking care of the infrastructure, we're also aiming these at the public seeing what we're doing in general, because it's equally as important that the public understand and appreciate their infrastructure and that they appreciate the people that take care of their infrastructure. If nobody pays attention to it, no one's going to push their legislature to passing you know, bills to fund legislature and everything can fall apart. And a third way of looking at it is it's also very important that the engineers in the profession understand that there's kids out there, that they are not companies independent of the world around them, and that they want to help make a future generation that will take care of our infrastructure. I really appreciate that you kind of outlined really neatly how eWeek can manifest in these three very different ways. I personally am very passionate about inspiring the next generation of engineers as well. And I think this is such a worthwhile cause because there are so many students from kindergarten to even seniors in high school who are selecting their majors and who are applying to schools who really don't know how to distinguish who's building what. 
They know an engineer is someone who uses math and science. They probably design things. They don't know if those things are roads or if they're buildings. If they think someone designs a building, oftentimes they ascribe the entire responsibility to an architect simply because they just haven't been informed. They don't have any context to understand what all pieces and parts go together to design our build world. So I think that's a really noble cause. And I think that's always something that we could be doing more of because there just isn't enough exposure for students today. I know like just to chime into that one too. I mean, I believe like kind of what you do too, like what we need to do as engineers, as working professionals is to go out there. I mean, all these kids don't know what we do and don't know the importance, even though, you know, we're all living in basically you have an engineered building. A lot of our environment is engineered, but it does take us, the working professionals, to share that. That's one of the reasons why I started uh, you know, my YouTube channel also about structural engineering and kind of what the day in the life is of a structural engineer and the type of work that we do. I've heard that you've had a, a TV show too, kind of something with the civil engineers. Could you tell us about that? Yeah, and I think the spirit of what we've been doing with the TV show is exactly the same as what you're doing with the podcast. You talk in a TV show, it's aimed at the general public. And just to get the general public um, a good flavor of what we do, we try to find like interesting projects that are happening around Boston or Massachusetts in general. Just bring people on who are enthusiastic about their work and talking about it. And I think it makes a big difference. I think that people just seeing people really caring about what they're doing. I mean, a lot of the work that we do, in the, especially in civil engineering, it's associated with you know public works. It's um, government funded a lot of the work, and sometimes I feel like you know people make assumptions that like yeah these things just happen. We throw a lot of tax dollars at it. There's not people who really care, but it's the exact opposite. Our field is filled with people who really care and are very happy to talk about what they do. Every show I do, it's a funny. I purposely don't get over familiar sometimes with the projects because I think it's the enthusiasm. I'm so enthusiastically talking and they're so enthusiastically talking about the wide variety of projects that we've had on the show that every show seems to come out as being people really excited about their work. And uh, I think it's important that the public know that people are very passionate about taking care of the infrastructure. I totally agree. And I think it's actually so interesting that you mentioned this, but infrastructure is kind of considered by most of modern day society as kind of this kind of take for granted this commodity is just it's there we've always had roads or when it we only notice the road when it's bad the workers and the engine behind the design and everything behind our infrastructure is kind of this faceless group and so when we come forth and and take the time to show them how animated we are and passionate about trying to make society the, a better place it finally allows the public to connect and realize oh yeah a human is behind this design and they're trying to make it the best they can for my needs and so that our community can thrive and all these different things. I wholeheartedly agree. Do you know kind of what your audience base is or the number of people that you reach with your TV show? It's very funny. It all depends on, I guess, some of the shows you look at them and they only have a few hits and you're like, that was a great show. And then you look at another one and it's got tons of hits. And I think that the bigger factor in everything is the social media presence of the guests that you have on. Some people are just very popular on the internet and their shows take off. I wish it was like across the board. I don't know that it's the topic that brings them in. I sometimes think it's the guests. That's another story for another day. If we're not in Boston, if we're, you know, for example, in Texas, is there a way that we can get access to see some of these episodes you're creating? Yeah, so the older episodes are still up on YouTube. If you just type civil engineering today, you should get a big list of 
TV shows. Somewhere about a year ago, they started putting them up for us on the website bnntv.org. So Boston Neighborhood Network Television.org. It's kind of a bummer. We still should put the effort of putting them up ourselves on YouTube because nobody knows they're out there. We're not good at marketing. We're very busy with the real job. That's perfectly fine. We'll make sure that we have that link included in our show notes that we can help spread the word. And now I have a a new show to watch on the weekends. We do it once a month. We make it. If we did it every week, we'd go crazy. It's been Anna Christina and myself since 2006 doing this TV show. That's real dedication. Thank you for your commitment to sharing the awesomeness of civil and structural engineering with the world. Yeah. Every week we question why. No, not. We love doing it. Obviously, if I'm just learning a little bit about you, you've been really active in a variety of different professional associations, but particularly ASCE. And I understand that you currently serve as the chair for the pre-college outreach committee in the Boston Society of Civil Engineers. Right. I've been doing that for a very long time. I think it's 2002, 2003, something like that. But I haven't always been chair. Actually, I always try to get new people to become the chair. Then every once in a while, I pop back and I'm chair again. It's funny how that happens. It seems to be very cyclical. I'm involved in a lot of organizations myself, so I know how that works. Question to you is, how did you get involved and what made you really escalate the activity that you have in these different associations? My very first involvement came because somebody I was working with just asked. Someone just asked me to get involved. I think it was the 150th birthday of ASCE. And um, someone just asked me to get involved in a day of hands-on activities. And I loved doing it. It was uh, great. So after that, it's funny, they'd already been running, uh, the Boston Society of Civil Engineers has been having a, a model bridge contest. Back then, it was called the Toothpick Bridge Contest. It was just one material that, you know, just using toothpicks. They'd already been doing it for a few years, and I really didn't get involved, and there was no really good reason why. I've always been involved in K-12 type activities, but back then, after work, go over to the Charlestown Boys and Girls Club, and I used to tutor. I think it was that one day that I had so much fun working with kids directly that I started doing it and then starting more contests. Around the same time, I became familiar with the Future City Competition which at that point was independent of the Boston Society of Civil Engineers. But um, when that program needed a a new leader, it was easier for me to bring it in with the Boston Society of Civil Engineers. So since I think probably 2008, I'm probably wrong on the year, but we've been running that through the Boston Society of Civil Engineers. Future City Competition, back on the topic of getting kids in school to understand the different careers in engineering and the difference between an architect and a civil engineer and a structural engineer and a mechanical engineer. I don't know any better way of doing it. The entire competition, and even if kids don't compete, a lot of schools don't consider it a competition, but consider it a program. They really learn about how the city works, the infrastructure that underlies the city and makes it work, and all the different professions that go into making everything happen. Basically, kids dream up their dream city of the future, but for whatever they come up with, they have to explain how it's going to work. And you can't say by magic. It has to be by some kind of scientific principles or engineering design that makes sense, that you could project some kind of technology that exists now. You could imagine it in the future as being a technology that would make sense, that this could be the future. And a lot of times they address problems that we have in current society, and they are bringing up how they would solve 
even though they're coming up with a dream city that has nothing to do with anything, they're recognizing real problems that we have now and have better ways that it could be taken care of in the future. One thing I notice is in a lot of the cities, you don't see highways and cars. They've all come up with something else, methods of public transportation or other systems of having people getting around and having that, you know, their door-to-door involve using some kind of bicycles or hoverboards or something that isn't driving a car and people traveling by themselves. And it's great seeing that youth are thinking about mass transportation as being the choice of the way to go in the future. And they think of low energy ways and they think of low waste ways of doing things all the time. I love that program. At least for me, it's sometimes as you get into the profession, sometimes there's always that, um, oh, this is the way we do it. You kind of like get stuck in your ways. But that's what's great about, you know, going to the next generation of engineers, because like you're saying, they have like a fresh uh, belief system and they're filled with creativity. And, you know, that is something that we need to bring to the profession. And it's great that, that you're doing that for the next generation of engineers. I've actually judged the Future Cities competition before, and it happens in Texas a little earlier than E-Week, but I always find it's, it's just so funny because we spend some time during E-Week or throughout the year to try and inspire the next generation to be engineers. And I find when I go to Future Cities competition and I see the ingenuity that these kids are bringing and the creativity and how fascinating their ideas are, I end up leaving a little bit inspired because I think, man... I kind of have gotten into this rhythm of doing my daily job in a certain way or, you know, thinking about design in a certain light. And they bring new light to uh, this industry that I feel so familiar with. And it's a beautiful kind of ecosystem, a symbiosis that we share. Yeah, Alex, I totally agree with you. That's how I come out. I come out every time feeling recharged after these competitions. It's been a rapid fire a couple of weeks because we had Future City two weeks ago and we had our model bridge contest last week. And uh, right now, I started on the weekends just writing like crazy about what I'm going to do next, because these things, you come out so inspired by these kids. They're so enthusiastic that that it's infectious. This is one pattern that I've seen, you know, with all the guests that I've seen, the successful guests that I've talked to, they're almost always involved in some type of engineering organization and giving back. How has being involved in this, in your organizations, how had that impacted your career or even you personally? It's almost like you can think of ASCE or the Boston Society of Civil Engineers. It's almost a testing ground. But that ideas that come up, you can sort of just go for it. If you can just talk to you know, other people that are in your field and get them to understand that this is a good idea and this is going to be something that everybody's going to love, you get a lot of support. And that kind of support gives you the courage to do the same things at your job. I think that young engineers getting involved, it, it really, especially if they're not a, a manager yet, Like when you're younger in your career, you can be managing an outreach type project very easily just by speaking up. And then you can get other people involved just by asking them. That's all it was, is somebody came up to me and asked me to get involved. And I was like, sure. That's one of the things I love. So the way this has all affected my career is that it's made me much more outspoken. It's made me feel comfortable going up to almost anybody and talking about the infrastructure when I've got ideas that are things I think would help the industry as a whole. I'm happy to pull together a presentation or find the people who are real authorities. And The combination between the real job and the outreach efforts, it adds up to working together to really help community and, and help us have a better infrastructure. 
Absolutely. And I think it's it's such a cliche to say this, but it really is greater than the sum of its parts when you pair the two of those efforts together. It sounds like you are you get a lot of fulfillment out of reaching out and being um, so involved as you are. What has been the most rewarding experience you've had in a professional association to date? And what was you achieved out of that experience? At the national level on ASEE, I've been involved in a few things that have been incredible. It was community volunteer, community service, the Committee on Volunteer Community Service. And, uh, you know, we would set up as part of the ASEE meetings to go and, and do something for the community. We were fixing things up at School for Kids with Disabilities one year. Another year, we built a, a riding path that was an equestrian riding path for kids who, you know, don't have sight. It was a sensory path, and we changed up what the textures of the ground were and the terrain uh, as we were building it. That was very rewarding at the national level. On the local level, I think my favorite thing, it's the, the Future City competition. I love the Future City competition so much that I've been bringing in interns in the off time and giving them other challenges, trying to reinvent careers and imagine what the careers would be in the future. Last year, I had two high school interns that I had them take what we do is bridge and tunnel inspectors. I brought them out in the field. We actually got a company to bring a robot down into the tunnels and they got to see a whole lot of high-tech toys. And then they wrote up what they could picture inspections being like in the future. And this summer, I'm planning on actually taking some of the curriculum that Discover E has developed for a future city and trying to make it that other people can similarly picture a career and try to imagine a career of the future that involves STEM, especially engineering. I really love the Future City program. Kind of based on the future, because there's, you know, there's a lot of change coming and there's a lot of things that we can think about, like you were saying with the future cities. Right now in the structural engineering industry, what are you most excited about and also what worries you the most? Some of the things that worry me the most is I see issues coming up, but sometimes we oversimplify things and we take out some of the, we don't think of the developing technologies and incorporate them in. For example, I'm worried about things like truck trains and people not understanding that if we have traffic traveling at fast speeds so close to each other, that it changes the way we calculate our, our capacities of these structures. When we're calculating them now, we're not figuring on the trucks being so close to each other. I'm hoping that that gets understood and, and gets worked into everything, and I'm, I'm sure it will. I also see that some of the codes, because we always get fascinated with our technologies and think that we've learned so much more, but I, I see the sizes of structural members sometimes getting smaller because we say we can calculate things more precisely, but that doesn't always figure in factors like advanced corrosion. If you don't have as big a section and you have advanced corrosion, things can go downhill faster. Some of the technologies that I do see wonderful happening is a lot of the artificial intelligence work and the advancement of you know, digital imaging and sensors. I can just imagine that we can really get a better rein on how things happen. If we could just walk around with an iPad, that would be, you look at a structure and you got your iPad in front of you and it's focused on that point in the structure, you can scroll back in the history and see how it's changing over time. And if you want to um, you know, get actual measurements, you could, it would just shoot out LIDAR or something. It would just tell you the dimensions and it would be able to sense the fitness of what steel is remaining and give you instant calculations. I can see great things happening in the future. 
And some of these thoughts are thoughts that came up because I had those students in last summer. We spent a lot of time talking about ideas like this. So Reed, I have to ask, what is it that you're going to be doing in Boston for E-Week? And how can we and our audience be better about bringing the spirit of E-Week into our day-to-day work and throughout the year? We're going to be having this, a, a college career fair that's going to be happening locally. And at that college career fair, I'm bringing in a group of students who we're going to run hands-on activities for them. But after they do their hands-on activities, we're going to bring them around the career fair and introduce them to all the different companies and have them meet a whole bunch of professionals. And I think this is something that people can do. At, there's career fairs happening all the time. I think that this is something, bringing small groups of students in there, giving them, you know, treating them great and making them feel special as they meet a whole bunch of design professionals. It's a big plus. It's funny because Engineers Week, it's actually school vacation when we have Engineers Week every year. In Massachusetts, we actually declared a second week at the end of October that we call STEM Week. So it's not completely just engineering. It's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. We throw a lot of big events then, and that works out great for us because that's the beginning of the school year, and we get to have our kickoff for Future City and our kickoff for the Model Bridge Contest. A lot of companies bring in groups of students into their offices, and we really make something wonderful out of that. And it's great because that's put together by you know the governor's. The governor actually in Massachusetts has the governor's STEM council that works on uh, STEM issues and encouraging people to get involved in STEM. I know that the WTS, which is Women's Transportation Seminar, uh, they put on something called Transportation U, uh, Y O U, where it really encourages you know young women in high school to get involved in in STEM careers. These things can happen year-round. Nothing is limited to the week, but it's great that around the country, the biggest thing we do during that week, of course, is we have the finals of the Future City competition, which are in Washington, D.C. So I go down a lot of years, but this year, Ali, somebody else is going to go down to D.C. That is a wonderful event if anybody ever gets to see that down in Washington, D.C. The finals, those kids are incredible. Reed, thank you so much for spending time with us here. I know you're a real inspiration because I can just feel your enthusiasm and all that you're doing for the engineers around the world and around the nation. Uh, And really, it is an inspiration. So thank you for being here on the Structural Engineering Channel podcast. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Alexis. We hope you enjoyed the conversation with Reed Brockman today. These certainly are interesting and relevant topics in today's world. In case you want to check out more about Reed's show, Civil Engineering Today, check out the show notes under today's episode for a direct link. Before we wrap up, we'd like to once again thank our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society, not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Mazer Consulting is on the cutting edge of technology, and their opportunistic approach to expansion creates personal and professional growth opportunities across all areas of the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. We hope you enjoyed the episode today. 
We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. To leave them, please visit structuralengineeringchannel.com. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, which is episode number 19, as well as the links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast feed. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. 